Okay, let's continue our attempt to unlock the book of Colossians. We've had one attempt, at least here, four weeks ago, as we had an introductory study. And uh, last week, I hope you enjoyed your anchor groups, uh, because you endeavoured to get to groups with one or two little dynamics that we'll perhaps uh, also cover uh, in tonight's study, as we think tonight about Christian identity. The Apostle Paul lived in a world that was riddled with both polytheism and pluralism. Little changes, you might say, because we equally <laughs> live in a world riddled with polytheism and pluralism. The early Christians faced many of the same kinds of problems that we are facing today. But as we consider the first century church in Colossae, the main problem, it seems to me, appears to be what we would call syncretism. Syncretism maintains that you can have Jesus, but alongside Jesus, you can also have a few other spiritual masters and mistresses also. The question for the Colossian church was, is Jesus Christ sufficient in a world full of myth and magic? Or did they need to supplement their faith by going to other powers and authorities? In Colossae, Jesus was eminent, Jesus had status. The real question was, however, was he preeminent? Colossians, of course, was written by the Apostle Paul from Rome in around about 64 AD. And it was sent with the letters to the Ephesian church, uh, to Philemon, uh, by Tychicus, one of his messengers. Uh, they didn't have uh, what we have today by way of a postal service uh, or by way of email. Uh, if a letter was to be sent, then somebody had to go on foot or by horse and take that letter. And that's what Tychicus did on a number of occasions for the Apostle Paul. This book is the 51st book of the Bible. It has four chapters, 95 verses, 1,998 words Depending upon your translation. There's one question. But there are 92 verses of history. And there are three verses of unfulfilled prophecy. It's a book divided into two main divisions. There's a doctrinal section that runs from chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 2 verse 3. And then there's a practical section. Chapter four, uh, 2 verse 4 through to the end of the book. You'll recall from our introductory study that the key verse of Colossians is actually found in chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Tonight we're going to read from chapter 1 and we'll read together the first 
14 verses, I think. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of your love, the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. May God add his blessing to his word. On one level, when the Apostle Paul wrote his letters, he wrote like anybody else wrote in the first century. He used what was a typical formula for epistles. A formula that was generally split up into three sections. There was the start of the epistle, then the substance, and then the signature. The start of the epistle, Paul would always introduce his letter. He would introduce himself as the writer, and those who may be co-writers, co-authors with him. He would then address the letter to the recipients, and generally as part of his start, he would include thanksgiving. That was the Apostle's heart, wasn't it? He would always, nearly always in his letters, give thanks to God. Then there was the substance, the main content of the letter, what he wanted to communicate. He never wrote, of course, in isolation. He had a reason for writing. And therefore, he endeavoured to address 
uh, the needs of the church in the substance of the letter. And then he concluded with a signature, some concluding remarks, uh, which usually included a benediction of some kind, a blessing uh, upon the recipients. And so here's the Apostle Paul's approach to his letters in really a, a good homiletical format, you might say. In his letters, Paul regularly, as he does here in Colossians, introduces himself as Paul an Apostle. Now, the word Apostle in Scripture literally means sent one. The Latin equivalent, if you are reading from the Latin Vulgate, for instance, you will read the word missionary, Paul the missionary. In many respects, every Christian, every single one of us here tonight, is a sent one. We are every one of us missionaries. We have been sent by the risen Christ into the world. We're familiar, of course, with the Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where the Lord commissioned the disciples. But in so doing, he commissioned his own. And that includes, of course, all these centuries on you and I. Go into all the world. So he was sending us out into all the world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Brethren, we are, as the Apostle Paul was, sent out once. We're missionaries. However, there is, I believe, an exclusive aspect to this word apostle. When Paul says that he is an apostle, he means he is someone who has personally seen the risen Lord. Now, of course, you and I cannot say that. But Paul could. And because he could, in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 2, 1 Corinthians 50, 1 through 18, he claimed apostolic authority as the apostles, the disciples, who were with Christ during his three-year ministry. He was one who was an apostle because he had personally seen the risen Lord and he had personally been commissioned by the risen Lord as a bearer of the apostolic gospel. And so it's no surprise that Paul alludes to the fact that by the will of God, there, verse 1, by the will of God, he had been made a conduit for the word of truth, verse 5. He had been made a conduit for God's grace in all its truth, verse 6. Paul, brethren, exercised an apostolic ministry they carried with it an apostolic authority. He was an apostle, not as a result of deciding to get a new job because he thought that perhaps Judaism had had its day. He was an apostle by the will of God. He had been converted, remember, on the Damascus Road. He had seen uh, a great light. There was a manifestation of the risen Christ and uh, the Lord touched him. 
and convicted him and commissioned him. Today's Christians are not apostles in the way the Apostle Paul was an apostle. You understand that. Indeed, I am cautious of those within the confines of 21st century Christendom who claim a certain apostolic ministry. I'm cautious of those within the confines of the modern church who embellish their ministerial titles with the adjective, with the adjective apostle. Today's Christians are not apostles like Christ and the first century apostles were. However, we are apostles in as much as we are those who were sent out by God himself. We have been sent to make disciples of all nations. So whether we are engaged in so-called ordained ministry or whether we're engaged in lay ministry, this divine call to be a sent out one should shape our lives. It should define who we are. It should dictate into what we do from day to day. The question is, of course, does it? Do we do what we do? Do we say what we say? Do we go where we go because we're sent out once? Are we motivated primarily by a desire to be true to that call? Or has that call to be a sent out one become somewhat peripheral or tertiary in our lives? We sort of tack it on to extraordinarily busy lives. And we can be forgiven for doing so, can't we? Maybe it's just those who are ordained to be ministers who who should be really serious about, about being driven, motivated primarily by being sent out. Do you think? Well, of course not. Because actually the, the concept, the discipline, if you like, of ordination is man-made in its current format. We are all, if you like, ordained of God to be sent out once. I am no more ordained than you are. That's the reality of it. And so every single child of God is a sent out one. Every single child of God has been commissioned by Jesus himself, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, to be an ambassador with this wonderful message of reconciliation, as Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. And so therefore our lives, brethren, ought to be defined, ought to be shaped, ought to be reflecting this reality. First and foremost. My first thought, that was by way of introduction, but I'm watching my watch, watching it. My first thought comes in the way of a question. What is your prison? 
What is your prison? If it was the will of God for Paul to be an apostle, and it was, it was also the will of God for Paul to write this letter. Agree? Colossians is one of Paul's so-called prison epistles. It was written around the same time as Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, whilst he was in chains in Rome. So if it was the will of God for Paul to be an apostle, and if it was the will of God for Paul to write this letter, it was equally the will of God for Paul to be in prison. And whilst in prison, Paul found a writing ministry. And aren't we so blessed that he he did? (laughs) We owe so much to the fact that Paul spent so much of his time in chains. Because if he hadn't been chained, he probably wouldn't have found the time to write the way that he did. God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Much of our New Testament is down to the fact that Paul spent much of his time in chains. I don't suppose that Paul would have willingly signed up for, for such, such a life, such a calling. Can you imagine perhaps going through a, a Christian magazine or a Christian newspaper, Christianity Today, and seeing an advert? Wanted. An apostle, a a, a Christian, in chains. I'm not sure there'll be many applications for that role, do you? Wanted a, a Christian who's prepared to be in prison for much of his ministerial life. Hmm. I'm sure Paul wasn't didn't sort of willingly sign up for it, but he realised, I'm sure, quite quickly, there was the will of God that he should be in prison at this time. And whilst in chains, he had the time to think, and he had the time to write these various letters to these various churches. In prison, by the will of God. Now, I'll be honest with you, I find that Something of a jarring note, don't you? In prison, by the will of God. I prefer to consider the dynamic to be a success by the will of God. That sounds better, doesn't it? Or to be a winner by the will of God. I like that. Or to always be on top, so to speak, By the will of God. I prefer those kinds of dynamics. But to be in prison? By the will of God? Isn't it always God's will for me to be healthy? Isn't it always God's will for me to be wealthy? Isn't it always God's will for me to be wise? Can I not embrace a triumphalistic theology... That's encroaching upon these shores these days from our brethren in the, across the, 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 the pond there. That says name it, claim it and then frame it. Can't I have that? That sounds more exciting. That sounds more dynamic. That sounds more attractive. In prison for the will of, 
by the will of God? Brethren, are we in circumstances that we would not choose for ourselves? What's your prison? Is your prison illness? Is it heartache? Is it redundancy? Is it bereavement? Is it the onset of old age? Is it creaky bones in the morning? Aching back at night? Is it a faltering eye or two? Or a, or a deafness? What's your prison? Whatever your prison is, be assured that God can use it for his purposes. Just as he used it with the Apostle Paul. Think about it. From prison, Paul was able to write this letter. A letter that has blessed countless generations of believers throughout the history of the Christian church. Wow! What's your prison? Don't kick against it necessarily. Embrace it. And as you embrace it, you will find that God can use your prison for his glory. As Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. That all things work together for good. All things. Your prison and mine. All things. So what's your prison? Don't moan and groan about it. Not much point anyway. For the most part, no one's listening. What's your prison? Don't kick against it like you kick against the goads. What's your prison? Well, embrace it. Because who's to say that by doing so, God can take it and bless it. And through that, therefore through you, you become a conduit. Of blessing for others. Imagine. My second thought is this. Moving quickly. In Christ. In Colossae. In Christ. Paul is writing to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ. We could be here all day. I, I won't. I'll try and be more succinct. Originally, these terms, these expressions, were reserved for the Jews only. But in this church of Colossae, they are now used for both Jews and Gentiles. Hallelujah. <laughs> that means that in this church, in Koiper Mind, they are used of you and I. How wonderful. <laughs> to be numbered amongst the holy and faithful brothers and sisters. Wow. People with diverse backgrounds and experiences are now accepted as the people of God. They are the holy and faithful brothers and sisters. Paul goes on to address the same as in Christ at Colossae. It's interesting. It's a grammatical point and I'm boring that way. What Paul literally wrote, if you go to the original Greek text, is 
in Colossae, in Christ. So our NIV translation at least has reversed the two for some reason, perhaps to make it more palatable to our English language, I don't know. He said literally in Colossae, in Christ. Not at Colossae, in point of fact, the preposition is in. The Christian, friends, has a dual address, a dual identity, if you like. And that's the feeling here. We are both in Colossae, so to speak, our Colossae, our community, and we're in Christ at the same time. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? And we should never forget either of these addresses, either of these identities, if you like. If we do, then we can be in big trouble. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. As you considered last week in your anchor groups, it was a fairly insignificant place, Colossae. It was situated in the Lycus Valley, now part of modern Turkey. This church faced different circumstances, different challenges, perhaps to the, the churches of the road in Hierapolis and Laodicea. Just a few miles up the road, in point of fact. A church in a town that had seen better days. Not unlike Pontypris, let's be honest. We must be aware when people have a kind of one-size-fits-all solution for our church problems. Churches are different. Mission is contextual. And the challenge here is, do we know where we live? I don't mean do we know our postal addresses, because I'm, I'm sure we probably do. But do we know where we live? Do we know the kind of place we come from, we reside in? Do we know the kind of people that we're seeking to serve? Do you know your neighbour? Or do you barely see them? Barely talk to them? Do we know Coypen Mine Road? I walk up and down it pretty well every day, but do I know it? Do I understand it? Do I know the people who reside here? There is a danger when we fail to understand the context of our mission that we become a kind of Christian ghetto. A ghetto is, I suppose, a town within a town. A town within a town. A town that uh, is a has a minority population within a town. And many churches are like that. They become like ghettos. Little minority groups within the town. But friends, if we are not a vital part of the community that we endeavour to serve, we cannot incarnate within that community. Instead, we just drive into church, we shut ourselves in church for an hour or two, once, twice a week maybe, and then we drive off home again. We need to learn to live where God has placed us because we are not where God has placed us by chance. We are none of us here in Trachron, in Pontypris by chance. Our presence here is not in isolation. God has placed us here for his gospel's sake. We are in Colossae. Our Colossae. We are in Pontypris. 
We need to understand the context of our mission. Otherwise, we will not save this community for Christ. We will not impact this community with the gospel of Jesus. You spent some time last week in your anchor groups exploring this. What do we do within the confines of Kuiper Man Community Church? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? Is it impacting upon our community? Is it engaging with the men and women, boys and girls who need Jesus within the confines of this, this town? Or do we really need to rethink what we do and why we do it? We are in Colossae. We are in Pontypris. It's part of our identity. But equally, brethren, we are in Christ. This is a, one of the Apostle Paul's favourite sayings. You, you take the, the chance to read through his epistles and underline every time he writes in Christ. In the Greek it's Christo. He says it all the time. On Christo, on Christo, on Christo. It's so important for Paul that those to whom he wrote were, yes, understanding of the context of their mission in Colossae, but those to whom he wrote were also in Christ. It wasn't enough for them to be in Colossae. They needed to be in Christ. They wouldn't, they wouldn't impact the town of Colossae unless they were in Christ. If I am just in my Colossi, I will capitulate to my culture. Too many Christians do, of course. For, for, for many, it's, it's difficult to distinguish a Christian from a non-Christian, isn't it? They are in Colossi, and that's all they are. <laughs> and they capitulate to the culture. But if I am just in Christ... I might not be able to relate to my culture. And so I need to be both and. It's not an either or. It's a both and. I need to be in Colossae, in Christ. And by adopting, embracing that kind of identity as a Christian, then we can impact this community for Jesus Christ. Christian identity is made up of where we come from, yes, and where we are going. Where we are going is far more important than where we've come from. <laughs> and that's the wonder of the Christian life, isn't it? Uh, where we are going is more important than where we've come from. Where we've come from might not be that encouraging, perhaps. And we may have had a bit of a tainted past. Even as a child of God, we may have messed it up. Over and over and over again. But bless God tonight. We can leave it where God wants us to leave it. In the past. As we in Christ move forward. And it's critical that we are in Christ. Paul says, Christ in you the hope of glory. And that's the reality. What's the hope for Pontypris? Well, the hope for Pontypris is that Christ might come. 
by his Spirit. How will Christ come to Pontypridd by his Spirit? Through his own. Through you and I. Through the blessed church. The blessed ecclesia. He, he's not going to, all these years on, think up a, a new dynamic, a new way. Why would he? If he, he did, then it's almost like he would be admitting that what he, he commissioned in the first place has failed. It's not failed. And so, how important it is that we are in Colossae, here in Pontypridd, and we are in Christ. Christ in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit, we in him by God's grace through faith, and by the indwelling Holy Spirit, that is how he's going to impact Pontypridd. And so he writes to the holy and faithful brethren in Christ, in Colossae. I'll finish there, but I was thinking, being in Christ is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? We could be here all night, couldn't we? Being in Christ means I avail myself of resources that weren't available to me before I was outside of him. Isn't that lovely? What resources, you say? Well, Paul gives us at least two, grace and peace. I hope I had the chance to think about those last week. Grace and peace. Grace, charis. Beautiful, beautiful Greek word. The grace of God. Peace is erene in the original Greek text. It's, oh, what a beautiful, beautiful word. Erene is the peace of God. Peace, it's not speaking about peace as in it's quiet in this room because there aren't any kids shouting. It's the peace of God that transcends understanding, that reigns in our hearts. And so it can be a hollabaloo in this room because kids are shouting. But I know the peace of God residing in my inner being. Hallelujah. It's that peace. And so being on Christo, being in Christ means I avail myself of resources that weren't previously Available to me. And these are just two examples. Grace and peace. Where do they come from? They come from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is to be in Christ. So my friends, our Christian identity, it's important that we are in Colossae. Because if we're not in Colossae, if we're not understanding our the context of our mission, then we are going to be just a simple Christian ghetto, a town within a town, a minority within a majority. A holy huddle, if you like. We come, we go. We come, we go. We come, we go. And society here, unaffected, untouched, and dying in sin. We must understand the context within which Christ has placed us. And brethren, church life, chapel life, ought to have changed in the last 50, 60 years, because our community has changed beyond recognition. And the Pontypridd of 1950 was one thing, the Pontypridd of 2016 is something entirely different. Why are churches still practicing chapel life as they did in 1950? Thinking that by doing so, they're going to engage with society. They ain't engaging with anybody but themselves. They keep themselves happy. I grant you that. They, give, they enjoy their holy huddles, but they're not impacting upon society. 
And these are the chapels that are closing. So we must endeavour to understand our context. And then because we are in Christ, understanding our context, imagine the impact upon this locality. That's God's way. <laughs> and he's not going to give us another way. Because his way is perfect. It's not God's fault that this locality is not being impacted with the gospel. It's the church's fault. Our identity as Christians in Colossae, yes, in Christ. The two must marry. And then, boy oh boy, we can claim this community for Jesus Christ. And this church is the same wonderful message of the gospel of grace. But this church will not even begin to look like it did 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It'll be contextualized. But it will save men and women, boys and girls, from a Christless eternity. I pray, like, I pray for you that I'm praying for myself. I am struggling with these dynamics in these days because I am, a, I am an old fuddy-duddy. I am something of a draconian. I am something of a traditionalist. I was brought up within a context, within a culture that I kind of understood. But I find myself now in a context, in a culture that I kind of don't understand. Now I can stick to my guns and say mm, I understand that so I'll stick with it. I know what I'm doing with that so it worked in Liverpool in the 1970s, 80s so I'm going to stick with that. My friends it'll sound the death knell to this church and for each of us. So what I'm praying for me and praying for you that, that you might be able to say okay that was for that time, that place. But now what does Trachan need in 2016. In Christ. In Colossae. Let's pray. Father we thank you for. These searching scriptures. Just a few lines. But goodness they. Really do. Open up so many issues. And present us with so many challenges. Father help us to. Embrace these dynamics in Christ, in Colossae. That we might therefore, by all means, save some. Oh Lord, but much more, how we long to save this entire community for Christ. Help us in this endeavour we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.